Well, this morning we re-engage together the Word of God as it describes for us the nature of the spiritual journey toward Christ-likeness. And that is the topic that we've been looking at now for some weeks uh, now. I, I will say to you that I think there are few stories in the Bible that are more important for understanding the very nature of this spiritual journey than the story of the rich young man, sometimes known as the rich young ruler that gets recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel. And one of the reasons why I particularly love this narrative myself is because it describes succinctly uh, so many of the stages of the progress a person must make towards Christ's likeness. And not only that, it also nails very pointedly that particular place where I know in my own life and that of many others that I speak with, we tend to get stuck. We tend to stop in our progress towards becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm especially fond of the greater color and detail that Mark's account of this particular meeting between Jesus and the rich young man gives. And so for that reason, I want to draw your attention this morning to that rendering of the text rather than the text from Matthew that is cited in your worship bulletin and in the study guide materials uh, that we've provided. Uh, so you're going to find the passage that we're going to read together on page 1570-1570 in the Pew Bibles provided for you this morning, or if you'd like to turn to it in your own Bible, it is, uh, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And I invite you to read with me responsively. Let's proclaim together the word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. In our scripture lesson for this morning, I think we meet a man who is a lot like many of the people who fill the churches of America today, and indeed even those who tune in to the broadcasts that go out on religious stations. For one thing, this particular man has clearly been through that part of the spiritual journey that is the beginning point for almost everybody as they walk with Christ. He's been through that season that we've been calling the discovering faith stage of the spiritual life. He's not only woken up to the reality of God, which is essential, of course, for any spiritual journey, but he's actually become focused properly on the person of Jesus. He has come to a belief that Jesus can lead him into a deeper encounter with this God. And so Mark 10 and verse 17 says that as Jesus started on his way one day, this man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Here we're given a picture of someone on an intentional journey. Tremendous intentionality being pictured here. He's a person who's willing to literally put on his running shoes to follow Jesus. He's willing to humble himself to do what is not easy, to fall on his knees before Jesus, hoping to find the riches of the spiritual life through him. It turns out, however, that this man has actually, actually moved even further than the discovering stage. He's already spent considerable time, it appears, in that particular time of the spiritual life that we have called in the past the nurturing faith season. For when Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. It is very clear that this man is not hearing these things for the first time. He knows these commandments cold. I think it's safe to say that as a faithful Jew, he has gone to the worship services and been to the Bible studies. He's memorized the scriptures. He's practiced the prayers. He's got the core beliefs and the core disciplines and the, the core group commitments down cold. And it's not just head knowledge for him either. And we read in verse 20, Teacher, he declared, all of these commandments that you've just listed, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, I, I, I've refrained from killing my kids or stepping out on my wife, though there have been times. I'll confess it, I've been tempted. I'm not ripping anybody off, Jesus. I am not lying. I am not gossiping like some other people do. I am honest in my business dealings. I have taken great care of my mom and my dad. In other words, this young man has progressed already to that stage that we called the acting faith season of life too. What we have in this brief story in Mark chapter 10 is a picture of somebody who has the basic DNA of the spiritual life down. He is discovering and nurturing and acting out his faith in this ongoing way, in this very important way, this way that all of us 
sooner or later need to find if we're to make progress on the spiritual life. But for this man, as perhaps for some of us, something is still missing. Maybe he had moved into that questioning faith stage that Mike Murphy described so well for us last week. Perhaps he was going through all of the right religious motions. He'd been doing it for a long time. But he'd begun to discover that some things still weren't working out like he had planned. Maybe he'd found out, as many of us have, that just being faithful does not protect you does not protect the people that you love from agonizing pains and losses. Maybe he cried out for answers in the night, as some of us have, and he found that the answers didn't come. Or the answers that had been given to him by religious people seemed awfully shallow and not sufficient. Perhaps he was actually close to giving up on this whole spiritual journey thing. Because it just did not deliver. It just did not result in the results that he was hoping for when he started out on the journey. So with one last surge of faith, perhaps, I mean, it's not clear from reading the text exactly what motivates this particular action we see. Sometimes people come to Jesus out of devotion. Sometimes people come to Jesus out of desperation. Some of you this morning are here because you're devoted just seemed like the right thing to do to come here again this morning. And some of you have come to listen to this word because you're desperate. Because if God doesn't give me a word, if God doesn't do something now, I'm just packing it in. And so we see this man coming, perhaps, in one last surge of faith, running up to Jesus, falling down before him and asking the Big question, how do I break through this wall, Jesus? How do I move past this place I'm stuck at, Jesus? How do I cross over into that deeper and that greater and that everlasting kind of life that I've always been told by everybody else that spirituality is supposed to lead me to? Have you heard that promise yourself? In other words, Jesus, good teacher, he asks, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And the Bible says in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. As he looks at us and I believe loves us. as we seek him today. And it's important to remember those words, I think. Especially important. Because what Jesus says next is just so hard. It's just so hard to take in. And it's just so hard to obey. Jesus says, verse 21, one thing you lack. I want you to go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. And at this, the scripture says, 
the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. For great wealth had him. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, the text says, were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again as if concerned that people wouldn't hear it. (laughs) He said, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Why, I tell you, it is easier for a camel, the largest beast that anybody in Palestine had ever seen. How hard it is. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, the smallest doorway anybody in Palestine had ever seen. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I want to talk with you today about the hardest place in the spiritual journey. I want to talk about the toughest place in your journey to become more like Jesus or in mine. I want to talk with you about that place that is variously called the eye of the needle, uh, the crossing, and which we are terming the season of crossing faith. It is that place where many of us are today. It is in that place where some of us will sooner or later get to. Maybe a few of us have been. It's that place where we get stuck in a form of spirituality that looks okay on the outside, but which does not really satisfy, does not really transform, does not really deliver the outcomes that Jesus has in mind. It is that place on the spiritual journey where, frankly, a lot of people either start to go away from Jesus in a visible fashion, leave the church behind, they give up on this whole spiritual journey thing, or they stay put and they grow stagnant and they really lose the kind of vital faith that the Christian journey is all about. They may leave sad, they may leave disappointed, or they may simply sit there somewhat jaded. I have been there. I have been there. I think I entered this particular season of faith about eight or ten years ago now. Uh, I didn't talk about it much, but this is what was going on. I'd been pastor of this church for a couple of years. I had been trying to enact from the get-go a bunch of ambitious plans I had for serving God and extending his kingdom. I had helped at the start to draft a poorly conceived, I will admit this, building expansion plan that nearly split the church before we finally mercifully pulled the plug on the whole thing. I then presided over a considerable mushrooming of our church's program, our staff, and our budget when all of a sudden there was this big dip in the economy that led to a huge gap between our income and our expenses. And it threw us into a despairing place where we felt we had to cut staff. And when we cut staff, the tensions and the divisions within the church that had been simmering under the surface exploded like a volcano 
in the life of our church family. And suddenly, there was all kinds of conflict within the membership and within the remaining staff over the whole philosophy and direction of the church's ministry. Anonymous letters started circulating all over our congregation's life, as some of you will painfully remember. And the letters asserted that I was a liar and I was a fool or that some of the staff were heretics and that this once great church was now very obviously going down the rat hole and longtime members were leaving this church in droves. It wasn't much better in my home either because I was bringing it all home. Tensions in our family were not pretty, and personal finances were ugly, and the baby-faced guy I met in the mirror when I came from California to Chicago was now looking older than his dad. And it was, frankly, all that I could do sometimes to drag myself out of bed in the morning and go out and snow blow for the umpteenth time the driveway from Hades and then just scratch my way through the day, feeling nauseated, trembling underneath the surface in almost every conversation I had, and then just fight my way till I could get back home again and collapse into bed and then just toss and turn for four or six hours in worry and despair over all that was going wrong and how I didn't know how to fix it. And that went on and on and on. And I had these consistent fantasies. I thought all the time about moving someplace where it wasn't winter for nine months and where I could have a job that didn't require I have any opinion about anything. I was envying the guys that pushed the lawnmowers in the graveyards. Nobody talking back. Nobody asking questions. And I just, I would fantasize about, about getting to a place like that. And during those days, my prayers amounted pretty much to this sort of thing. I would say, God, in spite of it all, <laughs> in spite of all that I've tried to discover of you along the way, in spite of all that I've tried to nurture of my own faith and nurture the faith of other people, in spite of all of the ways that I've tried to act for you and all of the questions I've asked you to answer for me, God, God, faith is failing me. It's not working. It is not delivering the result I planned. It is not helping me. It is not advancing me. It is not protecting me. It is not feeding me. It isn't moving forward any of the good plans I've had in mind for you and for this church. So how do I get through the wall? How, how God, do I get to that place of abundant and eternal life that you promised? And to my surprise... I began to hear from God. Sometimes it came through the words of Scripture, particular passages that would become luminous. Sometimes it would come through the statements and voice of other people 
Sometimes it would be in the middle of those tossing nights that I would sense the whisper of the Spirit. And part of the surprise in hearing from God was how hard the message was. And part of the surprise was in how loving the hardness was. And, and this is pretty much what I heard in various ways over time. Dan, I know you've been running hard. I know that. I know that you've told yourself, I told, know that you've appeared to others for many years that your spiritual journey is all for them and all for me. But this spiritual journey, Dan, that you have been on, it's been mostly about you, hasn't it? I mean, not to say you didn't have good intentions, not to say there weren't sort of bursts of things that worked beautifully for my kingdom's purposes along the way, but Dan, let's be honest. Because I love you, enough to be honest. A lot of this journey has been about you. It's been about what your mind could discover and the way you could describe it for people. It's been about what your spirit could nurture. It's about what your talent could achieve. It's been about all the ways that I could bless you and bless others through you and the way that your life could get richer. It's been a lot about you. And in the midst of that season of life, I had to increasingly admit that God was right about this. Winding through all of my journey, through my discovering and my nurturing, through my acting and my questioning, was this vascular system of selfishness. I mean, as time went on, I began to see it in more and more places. I heard it underneath the surface of things coming out of my mouth that sounded so good, but inside were so full of self. And, and I knew it affected every relationship. And I didn't know how to change it. And I, and I, and I, I basically cried out to God, what do I need to do, God? To have this be different. I mean, what do I need to do? In the words of the young man in the story here, what do I need to do to inherit, really, the life that you have called me to live, that you want me to live, that at my best moments I do want to live? And I heard God saying to me, in effect, Dan, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. It is a willingness to become smaller that I and you might become bigger. How does that happen? How does that happen, God? I wanted to know. And again, not all at once, not all in one way, 
God started to fill out the picture for me. Dan, I want you to learn to rejoice in the opportunity that every failure and every conflict provides you to examine your real motivations and then to start seeking my motivations instead. I want you to start treating every single loss and all of the disappointments, and they're not done, Dan. You've got more of them to face. I want you to treat every single one of these as a gift and an opportunity. I want you to treat every decay of your own strength as an invitation to put greater trust in me because, Dan, one day you're not going to even have this job. In fact, Dan, I hate to break it to you, one day you're not even going to have that old gray-haired body of yours anymore. All you'll have, all you'll have is me. And I want you to treat every criticism that comes your way and every rejection as an opportunity to identify with me who took the place of a servant, even when rejected. And I want you to go, Dan. I want you to go, and I want you to sell, shed, crucify all of the pride and all of the fakery and all of the vain compulsivity that you're so accustomed to using to advance yourself. And I'm asking you to start to redirect your resources towards really surrendering everything to me. All of yourself to me. And truly living for my kingdom's purposes. My kingdom not your kingdom. And I promise you that if you'll start to do this, you will find treasure there. You'll find treasure of a kind you haven't even seen yet. And you'll be given more of myself to live in you that's the treasure. And then, only then, will you be able to know the next season where you understand at a whole new level what it really means, what it's always meant, to come and follow me. It's been a few years since I first heard that call so plainly. And I will tell you, I am still very painfully aware that I'm only starting into this season of the spiritual journey, this stage of faith that, as I've said, some call the eye of the needle, or we've termed the season of crossing faith. It seems appropriate to call it crossing faith. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, we read these words. Uh, spoken to the disciples of Jesus who themselves were struggling to understand what the journey of faith really involved. And we're told in verse 34, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, 
In other words, if you want to follow me, he must deny himself. And some of the other texts, the um, uh, Lucan account and the Matthean account, add these wor- this word daily. He must deny himself daily and take up his cross, his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to preserve that old self will definitely lose the life for which they're called. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, for the sake of the me that would fill them up and the gospel that would transform them, whoever loses that old life will save the life that's worth living. In one sense, I think the time of crossing is a bit like the the sweep second hand on a clock. The time of crossing can come to you at any time in your spiritual journey in life. In fact, it's likely to to pass over you many times (laughs) over the course of the journey. But for a whole lot of us, I I think the the season of, of crossing faith The spiritual breakthrough that it can bring about seems to come towards the end of the most difficult period of questioning faith. Because you begin to realize, as I started to realize several years ago, that part of the reason that you've been questioning God is because you have been living with this false assumption that God God and religion are actually supposed to make me bigger. And me happier and more blissful, but the proper prayer is not God bless me. It's God make me a blessing. Even if I have to die. It's the prayer that John the baptizer models. Lord, you must become greater. And I, I must become less. What still needs to become less in you and in me so that we can cross through the eye of the needle, so that we can cross over into that more treasured season of faith that lies beyond beyond that cross. What is it? Ask God to show it to you. And he'll answer that prayer. What do I cling so tightly to, God? Because I think it constitutes my real wealth. It's a core belief for me. I think this is my, I don't care what I appear to other people, what is that thing in me that I hold on to? Because I think it's what real wealth is. Is it, is it being right in my arguments? Is it? Is it being recognized for how smart I am? Or how good I am? Or how hard I work? Is it, is it your wealth or all the nice stuff that you have or that you would like to have to impress other people? Is, is, is that what it 
is being held on to? Is it, is it having the answers? Is it having the achieving child? Is it having the perfect family? Is it looking great? What is it that needs to die for God and you to live? The saddest thing in the world is someone who clings to this world's concept of wealth and in so doing, misses the treasures of heaven. Whatever it is that keeps you focused on you instead of on me, on my kingdom, says Jesus, whatever it is, rejoice in every circumstance and every opportunity that I give you, that life gives you, to crucify it. To drive a stake in the heart of that old self. I say rejoice in it. Whatever it is, sell it. Give it away. Let it bleed. Let it die. Let it go to somebody else who maybe needs it. For then, and only then, will you actually be able to come, says Jesus, and truly, truly follow me. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, how hard it is to enter your kingdom. How hard. How hard it is to enter your kingdom. I don't know why I've taken so long, why it's so difficult for me to, to believe that, to take that in. I'm just, I'm just beginning to see what a bloated camel I am and how regularly I cling to false wealth and how much I forsake your true treasure. And sometimes I think that there's just no hope that I'm going to ever really change, that I'll ever be saved from this condition. But you've said that all things are possible with you, God. And so even if the process is long and even if the process is painful, I ask you to bleed me of my selfishness. And fill me with yourself. And draw me into that season of faith in life whose supreme glory is yours. Is the chance more deeply and completely to know and be used of you. Do likewise, we pray, with all who join in this prayer. And remind us all daily by Christ's own example that it is indeed the biggest loser of this world's weight who ultimately wins through Jesus Christ, our Savior alone. Amen.